Welcome back to Creative Blessings with Father Nico Becris and Chris Katsakis. And today we are on our sixth episode. Uh, we've uh, been really having fun with this uh, series so far, so uh, I think we're going to... we got some momentum coming and, uh, well, had momentum or keep on going. So, uh, uh, <laughs> how you doing, Father? Doing great. Are you talking about momentum with the podcast or because you're wearing your Eagles championship uh, well, hat right I hope, now? I hope the podcast's momentum gives the Eagles some momentum. They had a little hiccup last week, but, uh, you know, they're get, they got a, a good quarterback coming back, so uh, we'll see. Very cool. And uh, so the topic today, if you want to introduce, is... <laughs> we're, we're talking about probably, honestly, you know, I, I like a lot of different books out there and a lot of different stories and a lot of different superhero movies, but I think my favorite concept of all of them, um, and certainly my favorite comic book growing up when I was a kid is the X-Men. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought it'd be a great opportunity to talk about that today. I mean, obviously it's a, uh, comic book that has been running now, actually, I think exactly 35 years as of this year. Wow. The, um, oh, no, the original was... <laughs> Yeah, 55 years. Yeah, 55 years. The original came out this month in 63. And then 63. They, and when John Byrne came on, they kind of revamped it and you know brought more characters in. But yeah, the original core group was 1963, 55 years. I think for some reason in my mind, I just live in the 80s. <laughs> so I was going back to the John Byrne, Chris Claremont yeah, problem. Yeah. Well, that was a turning point for that that comic. I mean, uh, it gained a lot of popularity in the 80s. I think it did well with all the other Marvel titles in the previous decades, but uh, the story arcs that they brought during this, you know, that time frame in the early 80s really kick-started and made that uh, a very popular comic. Oh, no doubt. I think that uh, it's evidenced in the fact that all of the movies have storylines from that era. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like they're, they're always drawing from that, that period of the early 80s. Um, you know, I actually did an interview on my blog with Chris Claremont, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, and I remember, I remember it very vividly because I remember doing the interview with him in the summertime over the phone. Chris Claremont, by the way, is probably my all-time favorite comic book writer. I think he's just fantastic. And he's basically the reason that the X-Men are even relevant. I mean, they were very – they were canceled in the late 60s. I mean, it started in the early 60s. It was canceled by the late 60s. There was a little bit of an audience there, but really not much until he took over. But I remember doing the, I remember calling him to do this interview because there are plenty of uh, religious themes in the book and a lot of different points that you know we touch on in our faith. I mean, talking about life and a lot of other stuff. And I remember doing the interview with him, transcribing the interview because I did it over the phone, so I wrote it all up. Then Christo was born, our first son, who's now three, and uh, and I remember emailing it to him. I, I want to say maybe a couple of days after he was born, but we were still at the hospital, but sending it to him for approval for me to post. And then he finally did, and it was finally posted on my blog. And it, to this day, it's actually gotten the most hits out of any post that I've done on the blog, yeah. uh, which makes me which makes me very happy. So um, if anyone wants to check that out, just a little hashtag shameless plug right there. Well, I, um, I, yeah, I'm pushing that one too. I mean, I, that's, a, that's a great one. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely good. In in that in in the in my blog post, I actually talk about one specific storyline that he did, 
um, called God Loves, Man Kills, which also is from the early 80s, I think 1982. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously it it touches on themes that run throughout the book uh, the whole time. So, um, So yeah, it's good stuff. Um, if anybody out there is not familiar, I'm pretty sure you are. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know who the X-Men are. But just a really quick recap. Um, the X-Men are a group of characters, you know, by nature, who are in the comic book universe what's called mutants. They're born with some kind of a some kind of a defect or something that makes them different, and they have some kind of superpowers, um, often something that they can't control. And often is not superpowers necessarily in a good way or at least in an easy way. Um, they often are ostracized because of the powers that they have, either because they look different or they, they have a tough time acting the same way as everybody else at school or at home. Um, there's even storylines about how some have been kicked out of the house and stuff. So as you can imagine, uh, this was very, very relevant and very much spoke to teenagers especially so when the book got into its heyday i want to say any kid that grew up uh if you were a teen in the late 70s all throughout the 80s and probably early 90s i would say you probably either read x-men or watched the cartoon in the 90s or played the video game or whatever Um, it was just massive and it really spoke to teens but it speaks to a lot of different um people and so professor xavier who is a Um, obviously a proponent of, I guess, peace in the world, um, rounds these kids up in a special school and teaches them how to harness their powers and also teaches them how to use their powers to fight evil and to protect um, the people that hate them. And that's that's the part where I that I find most interesting. But before we go there, did you want to add anything to that, Chris? Uh, Yeah. Uh, So you're basically looking at a group of individuals that, you know, are struggling with an inner conflict I think that you know coming to terms with that they're not like other people and like you said what may be a blessing uh, you know with as an outside person would consider a curse um, if you look at other superheroes in the Marvel Universe um, their mutations something changed them spider-man or you know the Incredible Hulk they were humans that were mutated into and a, a character. These individuals were born with the mutant gene that caused them to have these different powers since birth. So from childhood, they needed to know how to handle um, dealing with other people in society, whether suppressing their powers or utilizing them. And what's great was how they built the story around this mansion in Westchester, New York where Charles Xavier became a mentor to these young people, created the team, and reached out to other mutants. In fact, piggybacking off Chris Claremont, uh, Bob McCloud, and he co-created The New Mutants, which actually is a new movie coming out soon. That's a younger group of mutants um, based off of the X-Men, and um, that was a very popular title in itself. Uh, Like, as the X-Men grew older, the next generation of mutants came in, so they piggyback new uh, titles off the original X-Men title. Uh, but it's one of my favorites. It just explores a lot of the human condition, uh, a lot of um, introspection within characters, uh, how they relate to one another as well, and how they relate to the outside world. You met Bob, Bob McLeod, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, Bob was one of our guests at Artisticon. He was one of our guests of honor. 
he actually did a workshop on visual storytelling. And actually the anchor on the first several issues of um, um, New Mutants was Mike Gustavich. He was there as well. So we had, you know, two people from the New Mutants uh, original run. And uh, I think um, the young lady that plays um, 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 the youngest Stark daughter in uh, Game of Thrones, she's set to play one of the main characters in the New Mutants movie. And they, they're taking a different stance with it. I think they're going a little more uh, darker than the comic. But I think a lot of these shows do. Um, I haven't really checked out any of the other offshoots they have there's like i don't even know what it's called it's a it's an offshoot of the x-men and new mutants it's on one of the major networks it's in its second season oh, the gifted the gifted yes i haven't i haven't really looked into any of that uh i did watch legion the first um season which is a character created by bill sankovic uh based out of the x-men which was very interesting so there's a lot of offshoots from the x-men that have come about but, um, you know, I, I actually started collecting, like you said, when in the 80s. So I was more akin to the, the John Byrne artwork that really appealed to me. And then I kind of went back to the beginning and started collecting the back issues to learn who these characters were and why weren't some of them in. Why was the Beast blue and furry when he wasn't in the original? So, you know, you, you had to really um, kind of research, go backwards and go to the, go to the beginning but um, all good stuff, and I think it's always been one of their. I think it's probably their strongest title out there, you know, because some of the characters they created are so iconic and have have lasted, you know, for decades now. Oh yeah, no doubt. It's definitely it's been a cash cow for Marvel since then, basically. Yeah. Do you still have those? Oh, I have all my back issues. Yeah, I have about seventeen boxes of seventies, wow. uh, 60s, 70s, and eighties. Yeah, wow. so I have to. I haven't gone through them in a while. Uh, I'll get very nostalgic, I'm sure. <laughs> Man, with these, uh, let me tell you. I mean, with these movies coming out, there are times where you don't even know it, but all of a sudden, out of the blue, you just have one old issue that was the first appearance of I don't know Deadpool or somebody. Oh yeah. You find that it's going for like hundreds, if not thousands, yeah, of dollars on yeah. the day or what. You could probably. I mean, I know that they're nostalgic for you and stuff. But, yeah. But if you ever wanted to, if you ever want to pinch, I mean, you could probably. Oh make yeah. A yeah. I have some that are worth. Like I, you know, I have. Uh, I have some older issues that are that are pretty in good condition, and all all the John Byrne run were in mint. So I think they're still in mint. Wow. So, yeah, they would be worth some money if if I needed them in a pinch. But yeah, it's that's something you don't want to part with if you don't have to. You kind of just look at lay them out and look at them, and then maybe start rereading them. You know, I'd rather reread like a you know a uh, trade paperback than actually pulling them out and getting my fingerprints over them. <laughs> but uh, that's a that's the collector in me. I, that's exactly what I do. I always read the collected volume and leave the issues untouched. But but now now I'm really geeking out. Um, I promise everybody out there that I am a priest and I do do ministry. <laughs> I, I am busy with ministry. Um, I, I do. You're not uh, hiding a you're not hiding job. a floppy book in the liturgy the liturgy. <laughs> 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 no, the bishop would kill me. Yeah. <laughs> Rightfully so. Yeah, you'd Rightfully have to so. you'd have to bug out of there like Nightcrawler. <laughs> <laughs> another good segue. Another good yeah. segue. Yeah, no, those were great. And in fact, um, just for for people who may not be familiar out there. 
Um, the, the, the run on X-Men that we keep referencing by Chris Claremont and John Byrne also is the basis for Days of Future Past, which was a very, very, very successful yeah, X-Men movie. One. Came out, I believe, four years ago. And yeah. I think this year, what, in a couple of months, right? November, they're going to do the Dark Phoenix saga, or is yeah. that next year? I think they're in the works. I'm not really sure when it's coming out. I was yeah. really impressed with Days of Future Past and First Class. I was not impressed at all with Apocalypse. I just mm-hmm. think that that movie just did not do justice to the to the uh, antagonist, the villain in that. I, it just, but you know, it. Everybody has different tastes. I mean, it was a good actor that played. I just think mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't achieve what the comic portrayed. You know, uh, Apocalypse has so. Uh, just as much as I love Thanos and Avengers, I despised Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. so. I think that's a, I think that's the general consensus that the first two were strong and people didn't really resonate with the third yeah. one. And I think that's the same for the original uh, boot when it was uh, X Men and came out in two thousand. The first two I thought were strong. Me too. The, the third one was very weak. So. I um, think X two. I think X two is still probably oh, I think yeah. the best of of all of them that they've done. Yeah. Um, I I really enjoyed that one and it was it was really good. Um, that one actually spoke a little bit more to um, what I wanted to talk about today. And if we could maybe just go segue into the into the message in terms of the faith, you know, one of the things that appeals to me so much, and I think really to a lot of people uh, about the X Men as a concept, is the people that they're fighting are not simply, you know, or, or let me put it this way, not just the people that they're fighting, but not, but also the people that they are protecting are not just innocent bystanders. They're not just family. Um, they're, they're not, you know, the, the, the typical crowd as it, as it pertains to other superhero books and movies. Um, the issue of, uh, prejudice has always been very prevalent for the X-Men because as mutants they are hated by society and yet they are turning around then and defending the people who hate them mm-hmm. and you know in the 60s actually it was it was much later but Stan Lee uh, created the book with Jack Kirby in the 60s uh, I'm not sure if he said it back then so much but certainly later on in the you know just a couple of years ago I heard him say this in an interview but he said in that regard of, of people protecting and 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 loving people who hate them um he was in his words he said it's almost like a jesus christ metaphor um i think that that kind of sacrificial um selfless love even personified in superheroes um is so powerful you know to see these you know in a lot of cases the characters were teenagers um or adults um protecting people who hate them you know um trying to fight back um, you know, if somebody is, you know, attacking them or whatever, knowing that these are the same ones with, you know, picket signs and, um, you know, hatred towards them. Um, but they are still protecting them, even though they are, they are hated by them. I think that message of just kind of total, I mean, it's a very heroic idea, but it's also a very Christian idea. And, you know, I, I again, it could be just because, um, maybe not, I hope this doesn't sound like, you know, pretentious or anything, but, I don't know if it's just because I'm a priest or, or, and I just kind of gravitate to stuff like this, but I really, really enjoy that. There's, there's something that no other hero in all of comics has um, that's quite like that. You know, um, they're all, you know, the bad guys are always people that hate. Um, you know, obviously the super, the, the, the villain always hates the hero, but, um, but protecting those who hate is, is very, very powerful. And I always loved that. Always enjoyed that in the stories. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think even the parts of the Phoenix, like Jean Grey's character, um, has a kind of a parallel to maybe the resurrection. You know, there's, there's a there's a factor with that character that she's reborn into something different. You know, first is the Phoenix, and then there is that. There's two sides of that coin, dark and light. So uh, I always thought that was an interesting parallel. Maybe that's how I saw it. You know, in my mind. Oh yeah, there's definitely there's definitely parallels there, and and with um, with Greek mythology about the phoenix rebirth resurrection. I think I think every every era, I mean every culture has had some kind of fixation with a story like that, you know, because we're 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 wired for that, and I think that's one of the reasons it's so powerful. But again, um, keep in mind that um, well, hmm, how do I say this like not without giving away any spoilers to a to a story that's almost forty years old, but even so. Um, Let's just say that even even Jean Grey, when she becomes the Phoenix and is very powerful, even she, as this you know nearly godlike being, um, even she ultimately is fighting to protect those who hate her. Exactly. Uh, and that that's what she was taught by Professor X. And by the way, and in my in my blog, I went into this a little bit too with Chris Claremont. Um, one of the things that I always loved is to go to go even further with this. So the X-Men were created in the 60s, and of course it was during the Civil Rights Movement. Um, I don't know how intentional it was at first, but it definitely was intentional in the 80s, this kind of metaphor for the book as kind of a civil rights movement thing. But many have characterized that, um, that uh, many have determined, I should say, um, that, Mar uh, that Professor X was meant to be like Martin Luther King, Right. And Magneto, who's his an antithesis, was meant to be like Malcolm X. Right. Uh, one wants to do, uh, you know, to, to they both want the same goals of, you know, um, coexistence and to not be persecuted um, and freedom and these kinds of things. Uh, Malcolm X wanted to do it with more violent means and Martin Luther King wanted to do it with peaceful means um, as a dream kind of thing. And that's why there's another thing I love about the book so much and, and especially when I was a kid, too. This idea, it's always referred to as Xavier's dream. I mean, that definitely was meant to, was a clear parallel for Martin Luther King in those days, Xavier's dream. Um, and again, you know, and some of the strongest stories that came out of that, including God Loves, Man Kills, are even some of the X-Men when they see, you know, one of their members being hurt by, you know, violent, you know, protests or whatever, um, Again, not to do, not to get too political. There's other there's other story mechanisms than just picket signs and, and protesting. But um, you know, not meant to be political. But anyway, just because it's so prevalent nowadays too, uh, sure. unfortunately. But but anyway, but um, but no. But I mean, some of the X Men are looking at this and saying, seriously, we're protecting these guys. I mean, why would I why would I want to do this? Right. You know, and and how often do we find ourselves in situations as Christians where we you know, we're like, you know, we're called to love our enemies. I mean, does this even make sense? I mean, this person just did this. The person said this that was very hurtful. The person might have um, might believe something that's very, very different from what I believe um, and very, you know, antagonistic to what I believe. Um, you know, at the end of the day, um, it, it's a very, very hard thing to do and, and something that's very naturally aggravating for any human being. Um, to, to when one is wronged, to want to lash out and to kind of, you know, um, respond in kind or, or to perpetrate violence. Um, and that's why, you know, these, these stories are so um, 
powerful in their essence, I think, you know, of, of having this kind of, um, again, when all, when it's tempting to lash up, to lash back, which is often what Satan sits on our shoulders and, and kind of whispers us to do when someone wrongs us to love them anyway, you know? Um, and, and that's where the Jesus Christ metaphor comes in. And that's I, I, in many ways, I mean, I think it's just a fantastic, fantastic metaphor for, um, for us, I mean, I would be I'd be perfectly happy when my kids get old enough, showing them a good X Men story and saying, you know, this is this is kind of a of, of a nice way of kind of bringing in the message of what we're trying to do. You know, what what Jesus taught us about not I mean about loving our enemies. I think it also uh, explores the notion of loving thy enemy. The concept is also a one of if you hold on to hate too much or hate is in your heart, ultimately you will be harming yourself more than someone else. You you will destroy yourself from within, you will fixate on the hate, and ultimately the loss is within the individual. And um, I think we see that every day. You know, revenge, <laughs> you know, they say the if take a quote from Star Trek is a, a dish best col uh, served cold and spit. Klingon ver proverb: uh, <laughs> Revenge is a dish best served cold in space. In other words, if you're ready to dig a grave, prepare to dig both: one for mm -hmm. yourself and one for that you hate, because ultimately hate doesn't um, accomplish anything; it destroys. Um, it's better to lift up than to put down. And uh, unfortunately, the, every war we've ever had through the history of mankind, humankind, has been usually out of hate and, um, you know, aggression. You know, it it's, it's, comes down to, you know, that basic notion of not letting go uh, and, you know, how great it would be if we could really truly live as what Christ wanted us to on this world, in this world. Uh, but as you said, this this is the world of of Satan. Christ is of another world. You know, this this is this is the plane before, so to speak. And this is the this is the test run. You know, I think this is where we test ourselves. Yeah, I mean, even even Christ referred to Satan as the ruler of this world. Yes. You know? but you know, we also have to remember that the world he was referring to was kind of the human nature. It yes. wasn't. It wasn't planet earth necessarily you know i mean because because the lord is still you know sovereign of creation too but um but absolutely right you know it's funny because um just this morning i i had coffee with with you know someone who is um right now um you know going through a divorce mm -hmm. and you know now it's time you know where everybody's going to court and there's attorneys involved and there's you know, dividing stuff involved, and it just it just really terrible to hear. You know, I mean, about all the things that can happen. Um, you know, just because of because of you know things like you said, I mean, just not letting go, and and it, and it really it really hurts to hear these things. And and the message of not responding again in kind, but turning the other cheek is is something very 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 difficult to do. I mean, I have one brother priest um, who is also um, a very dear friend, and he has referred to that as a miracle of turning the other cheek. Sure. It is very difficult, but it is necessary, I think, to to get closer to where we're where we're hoping to get to. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. And as we, as Orthodox Christians, when we we talk about you know hell as a place, so we don't. We, it's more of a mindset, a nature of absence Absolutely. of God, a darkness, mm -hmm. a, a lack of. 
it's not like portrayed fire and brimstone maybe in a more traditional fundamentalist setting but you know it, it if we go back to the church fathers you know it's it's simply that the nature of the spirit has pulled away from god's grace that it is it is tortured that way exactly exactly i mean it's tortured because we we still want to we, we 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 don't want to let go of our hate because in heaven, I mean, we're going to be, there's going to be all kinds of people there, right? Mm-hmm. So um, if we're not ready to let go of some things, then absolutely. Yeah, the fathers even talk about how it'll be like torture for us to be around others whom we hate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I think the strongest X-Men stories, you know, in the past, whether it's a movie or a book, I think the strongest X-Men stories are the ones that revolve around that, you know, the idea of the notion of hate and not letting go and the X-Men having to protect those people anyway and try to, you know, um, coexist yeah. and, and make peace and all those things. You know, that's why Magneto's so powerful is exactly. because his, his whole motivation is hatred. Hatred um, for what happened to his family in the camps, yeah. Exactly, in the concentration camps. And, you know, the Sentinels in Days of Future Past, they are robots that they fight, but they are created by human beings because they – they don't trust um, mutant kind. So those stories are really interesting. I've always found those to be um, very, very strong and and not not like everything else that you see in, in the medium today. And what's interesting, like the mo- one of the most popular characters, uh, Wolverine, he may seem to be hateful, but he has such a strong conscience mm-hmm. of, that comes through in his character, especially when searching for who he is and who he was. Um, when he had amnesia, so you know it, it, it's a lot of um, uh, different uh, explorations of characters and how they uh, define themselves, or un, you know looking to define themselves. That's that's absolutely why that character is so popular. Is yeah. because I mean, if you wanted just some angry guy who's just going to be like punching everybody all the time, I mean, then you might as well just stick a pro wrestler. Right. You know, in the X-Men. But it's not about that. It's about that dichotomy of like the rage and trying to control it and all that. I think it's very, very interesting. And it's really cool to kind of see that, you know, I mean, we live in the golden age of superhero movies. But when they were first starting in the late 90s, early 2000s, to see that kind of come to life and see everybody gravitate to that and see how timeless that message is, not just the 60s, not just the 80s, but, you know, even as popular as Hugh Jackman is today. It's a big part of that. You know, that concept is very much the motivation behind that that love for the character, yeah. I think, and ultimately, I, I think it's it's a great message, and I think uh, you know as, as as we progress every day, hopefully, uh, we can help alleviate the hate that's out there. We know it's out there. I try not to focus on it. I like I try to focus on the positive as we all do, but we must acknowledge it and must know that it's there, not to turn a blind eye. Absolutely, absolutely right. Okay, great. So I think we are ready for the trivia part of the uh, episode. Ah, ah. <laughs> so I think, I think we decided this week we're going to do old television. Is, is that correct? Old TV shows, yes, sir. Okay, well, I have mine ready. Uh, do you want to go first? Um, sure. I have, I have something a little bit different this time. Instead of asking straight questions, okay. here's what I'm going to do. I wrote down three characters, names, three fictional characters' names, okay. um, three sets, I should say, of three 
fictional characters' names, and you got to tell me what show they're from. Okay. That's fine. All right. Let's try Here it. we go. Here okay. we go. Okay, so the first one is Tony Maselli, Angela Bowser, Mona Robinson. Okay, and it's all from the same show. All from the same show. Uh, who's the boss? Who's the boss? Yes, right. with Tony Danza. Yeah, I used to watch <laughs> it faithfully. It so had, did Isaac. I love that show. And it had, what's her name? The daughter. She's now, she was on the show Charmed and uh, other pop culture shows. Alyssa Milano. Alyssa, Alyssa Milano. Milano. I remember she was a little girl in uh, the movie Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He played her oh. very young daughter in that. And then she was on Who's the Boss after that, yeah. So, okay, so truth be told, confession here, Samantha... Maselli, Samantha, Tony's daughter, was my first crush. Was well, a first crush, yeah. She was cute. On TV. Yeah. On TV. Now, is, that, is, the, is her mother, the woman that plays Mona, is she still alive? I wonder if she's passed away. She is. Actually, when I was doing the research uh, for the for those names, for because I couldn't remember her character's name. I remember it was Mona, but I didn't remember. She is still alive. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, great. Okay, so here we go. Next one. So we got this one should be obvious as well, given the generation we grew up in, but we'll see. Brandon Walsh, Kelly Taylor, uh, Steve Sanders. Um, that would be 90210. <laughs> <laughs> yes, another that show was, I that defined That defined cool for a whole generation. There. Oh, Maybe yeah. a good five, ten years of you know fads with sunglasses and, and fashion. That and Melrose Place, those two shows. They, they were have, on back to back. They used to have back Melrose to Place parties at my college, in my art school. They used to meet oh, every right. week. And then there were many takeoffs, like um, well, ripoffs, and they never made it. They tried to make another nine hundred two one zero with other characters. Completely, it just never took off. But, yeah, that was my uh, wife. My wife loved Melrose Place too. Oh, Melrose was good. But what was um, Shannon Doherty, who was uh, on nine hundred two one zero? She was real popular uh, with the. Young I think boys. wasn't she on? Wasn't she on Charmed later she too? She was also on Charmed, and there she was also for a while on one of the very last seasons of Little House on the Prairie, because my wife loves that show. No and we were watching reruns, and I was like, is that Shannon Doherty? She's like, yeah. And she goes, what? you know, she was in another movie you liked. And I'm like, she is? And I said, how did you know this? When I said the end, and she told me, Night Shift with um, uh, oh, yeah. Michael Keaton and um, Fonzie, um, Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler. She was the Girl Scout that hit him on the head with the Girl Scout cookies in the elevator. She was like maybe seven years old. I'm like, I, I, I didn't even recognize her. So. That's crazy. Yeah. All right, so here we got one more. Um, if you don't get it by the first two names, you'll definitely get it on the last one. Michael Knight, uh, Devin Miles, Kit. Hello, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Knight Rider. Another another show that defined cool for a generation. Yes. My older brother loved Knight Rider. In oh, fact, I, I loved it too. He would collect. He would collect. Listen to this. My older brother would collect Knight Rider fanzines in Greece. Okay, really? whenever we'd go on vacation, wow. anything with David Hasselhoff's face in the eighties on on it. You know, there you go. And I will I will excuse his horrible performance as Nick Fury on a TV made Shield where he played Nick Fury. <laughs> I remember that. I yeah. do remember. But uh, I love figuring things out. Yeah, I loved him uh, on Knight Rider, and there was a, I think in the second or third season, he played his evil twin Garth, 
who drew this <laughs> this like eighteen wheel rig like that was like kit, but it was a robot. Oh, ro- yeah. yeah, and it had a voice too, and it, it could had talk a voice too. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. I remember that episode. Wow. Yeah, yeah, great show. Oh, there were so many good shows in the eighties. Okay, well, I got three for three. Wow, I am, I am. Uh, okay, well, let's see. I went easy on I went easy on you this yeah. month. All right, well, let's see. Well, uh, this might be. No, I don't think you might know this. Um, on the show Happy Days, there is an episode where this now famous actor plays a martial artist that challenges Fonzie, and the episode's called Little Case of Revenge. Hmm. Was he a guest star? He was a guest star. And he went on to do martial arts? Well, no, he played a martial artist in the show with the karate gi, the white, and the black. He was a black belt, and he heard Fonzie was so tough and all. So he challenged Fonzie. He was in town for an exhibition. Who was the actor, this famous actor, that played the character of the martial artist? Can you give me a hint? Um, Sure. What did he do later? Was Um, I going to give it away? Uh, let's see. He was he he stormed the Normandy beach in a movie. Huh. Very I don't know. And I love I loved Happy Days too. I don't remember that episode though. Uh he also was in a show where he he and his roommate needed to apartment so they dressed as women. Dressed as women? Yes. Um, now you totally lost me. Go just it was I give all bosom buddies. Peter Scolari and Tom Hanks. No way, really. Tom Hanks was the martial artist, yes. That must have been way later in the show then. Yeah, it was probably way past when it jumped the shark. Yeah. Don't it jump the shark, yeah, yeah. Which which was the show that defined that, which coined yeah, that term. That coined that term. Okay. Um let's see. Did not know that. Um, cool. Tom Hanks is now Orthodox, as you know. And he goes to St. Sophia Cathedral in Los Angeles. Yes, if yes. I ever run into him, I'll have to yeah. bring it up and say, hey, you should reach I got to I gotta find for, you on YouTube and happy, you happy should, We should reach out to him for an interview. <laughs> Get him on the podcast. <laughs> Why not? He Why does not? a lot for St. Sophia. In fact, a friend of mine who went to the church said he was very involved with he and his wife. And, and then mm-hmm. uh, um, Nia Vardalis, they're, yep. they're all good friends. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you know, uh, Tina Fey. Is actually from our area in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. She grew up in Upper no Darby. Yeah, so she's from that church community, which is only about forty minutes, but part of our diocese here. So uh, yeah, she awesome. grew. Yeah. All right. The next uh, question I have, um, if you remember the show Taxi, mm-hmm. there was a character named Alex, the guy that everyone goes to and tells their woes. He recently also played the father on a famous sitcom about pop culture nerds. Who is the actor? A sitcom about pop culture nerds. Okay, so you're probably referring to Big Bang Theory, which I do not watch. Oh, you do not? Okay. And I, and I, 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 I just, yeah, I hate that show. <laughs> oh, I love the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's good because, you know, I mean, there's 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 a lot of geeks that are like, that's not us. That doesn't represent us. And there's other geeks that totally say, oh, no, that's totally I will us. say I love the first three, four seasons the most. That was It was so fresh. I love the writing, the comedy. It's gotten a little stale, and I can see 10 years in, it's time to move on. But yeah. 
Yeah, uh, I'm totally blowing it. I remember Taxi. I watched it uh, a few times. I remember Christopher Lloyd being hilarious. Oh I mean, yeah, the start. Father. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know. Okay, it's Judd Hirsch. Totally don't even know who he that is. He was also in Independence Day. Played Jeff Goldblum's father. Oh, that guy. Yes. Yeah, that, that guy. was Alex. Yeah, was I Alex. know. Hey, okay. Dear John. There was also another show he was on called Dear John. It was a sitcom. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. he was in like a. Um, a therapy group. He would talk with people. Yeah, yeah. Okay. In Independence, in Independence Day, he plays the guy who's lost his faith. He's yes, Jewish. The Jewish. Um, man, yes. And, and then at the end, looked, and he's always looked old from young. He's always looked old. Yeah. <laughs> and as he ages, he looks the same. So he was right. old, and then he's grown older, but never changed. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay. And yeah, I should I should have known that one. Man, I'm blowing it. I'm over too. Okay, and there's uh, this one you may or may not get. Um, this was a um, show that spun off from a very popular uh, show that takes place in Korea, and the main character is deaf. He is a priest. Um, he's a pastor in both shows, and what was his name in the show, the original show and the offshoot? He, wow. he's de he becomes deaf from a, uh, in the very last episode of the original show from a, a grenade going off near his ears. It's not Mash, is it? It is Mash. So what's the character? Mash had Mash had a spinoff. Yeah, after Mash. No way. Yeah. I don't know. I never watched Mash. Father Mulcahy. Yeah, Father Mulcahy. Wow. He became deaf, and they 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 did a spinoff. It only lasted maybe two seasons. Okay. Yeah. Huh. I thought you might know that one. Maybe that was well, a yeah, because obscure. it's a priest character. Yeah. I should know that because even though it was before my time, the last episode of MASH for like years and years was the highest rated TV program of any anything ever aired in America until I want to say um, there were two or three Super Bowls in a row that broke the record. And then um, the last episode of Seinfeld, even though that was huge, did not get the ratings that the yeah. last episode of MASH did, you know? So uh, I should know that bit. I, I never I never got into Mash. I was into Happy Days. I I, I love Taxi. Um, I, I never got into Mash. I don't know why, but I, I probably just need to. It's a good uh, show I, to go back maybe and revisit on Netflix. Um, it's just very very strong writing. Uh, in mm -hmm. fact, it's better than the original movie. It's one of oh, those sure. things where the the movie like the Odd Couple TV show with Jack mm -hmm. Klugman and um, Tony Randall was far superior. To the original movie, I thought with Jack Lemmon and Matthew. Uh, Walter Matthau, so it's yeah. funny. But uh, there's so many great shows, Cheers and Frasier. You know, I look back through the decades, even some of them that didn't make it. I I, I had hoped that they would, and there was one called The Single Guy. I really liked. It only lasted a couple. David of Silverman. David yeah. Silverman. Yeah, yeah, I really liked that show. Do you remember? Do you remember a show called News Radio? News that Radio. That only lasted like yeah. two or three seasons. Phil Hardman, yeah. John Lovitz. I, I loved that show. That was great. Uh, Murphy Brown's coming back next fall. Is that right? The same characters. Yeah, it's on Enter the cover of Entertainment Weekly this week. She looks well, totally different. I wouldn't recognize her. They're doing that all the time with shows nowadays, with bringing them back. And, you know, it seems like with all these streaming, you know, content, uh, you know, media, online platform stuff, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, I mean, you you have so much it's, more yeah. out there now because there's so much more room. You don't have to land on a network even though there's a million channels yeah. now too. 
Although um, I'm a little, yeah, I'm a little totally. annoyed with CBS All Access because the only thing I want to watch is Star Trek, <laughs> and <laughs> I just did the free trial. I'm like, I, I and they're not doing the whole like you know Netflix will release all 13 episodes. Right, right. They're going to do week to week to week to week like the old series. So it's like I'm not paying another 5.99 to sell yeah. wait till the season's over then I'll I'll watch it but and that right. was a great run that Star Trek Discovery if you get if anybody's listening cool. to get a chance to watch but yeah. A lot of options out there with streaming so. Nice. Well, well I think uh, we have wrapped up another episode we're on the tail end of 39 minutes, so uh, we're getting better. Um, and I just want to make an, should we make an announcement that, or is it possibly making, that you're going to be somewhere with me appearing? What kind <laughs> of appearing? I haven't bought my tickets yet, but yeah, so um, sure, we can we can say. There's, a, there's an Orthodox um, pop culture geek uh, conference that's taking place in Washington, D.C. in November called Doxicon. It's been going for a couple of years now. Seems like a lot of fun. It's just getting started, but um, but there are clergy that are going to this. Um, Steve Christofodo, who's the youth director for the Archdiocese, is going to be speaking at this. From B the B, um, yep. right? From B the B. Um, there's a podcast that I was on that was that was that's hosted by three Anglican priests, Episcopalian priests. They are going to be um, a panel at this thing. So. I believe that Chris and I are going to be going, and I think we're going to be we're going to try to record a podcast episode while we're there, but we'll probably do at least one more before uh, November. Yeah. So, yeah, but looking forward to that. I'm trying to swing it. Uh, you know, it is it is hard to get away uh, for a couple of days, but it is a ministry. I mean, we talk a lot about <clears throat> a lot of the same things we talk about on this podcast, and um, hopefully, a lot of the content will be also um, streamed to a website somewhere, either if. Doxicon has a site or the Archdiocese or something. Um, it sounds like it could be a lot of fun. It could be a lot of helpful, very helpful to people to kind of analyze some of these messages. I know there's there's going to be like a J.R.R. Tolkien panel about kind of the the imagery that he used in his books and in the Lord of the Rings movies and how they are directly correlated with his Roman Catholic faith and um, just a lot of really fascinating topics there. So yeah, I think they're going to explore something yeah. about Dune as well, Frank Herbert's Dune. I saw and well, something on um, Guillermo del, Termo, del, del Toro's, um, you know, intellectual property, what he's worked on and how it relates to the faith and stuff. So yeah, yeah, I would, I would love, I would love to listen to all of these things. It sounds we'll like it's, it sounds like it's sci-fi, comics, pop culture. It's a mix of everything. So. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So check out. I believe they do have a website. I'm not sure. I forget what the address of the website is, but if anyone. Google's Doxacon, D-O-X-A-C-O-N, coming from, course, of course, derived from the word doxa, the uh, Greek word for glory, which we use in the Orthodox Church all the time, um, including the last three letters of the word orthodox. Um, if you Google that, um, you will probably find their website and you'll find more about their schedule and what's going on there and hopefully that where to find the content when it becomes available online. Sounds great. Well, thank you again, Father, and uh, God bless you, your family, and your congregation. And uh, until the next episode, stay safe. Kronia Pala to all those out there, uh, and uh, have a great evening. Thank you, Chris, and thanks again for all that you do, my friend. God bless you and your family, too. God bless you. Thank you. <laughs>